Hey everybody, welcome to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And in today's episode, we'll talk about several major sports in America trying to reopen during the coronavirus pandemic. We'll be touching on several NFL contracts or deals or free agents that will be still out there like Jadavion Clowney, Patrick Mahomes, and Dak Prescott. And we'll be introducing a new segment called Best for Last that I will touch on a topic that may not be a tie into the rest of the show, but it's something that I'm very interested in. So we'll talk about it for a couple of minutes. I hope you guys find that interesting as well. But I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. All right, guys, and we're back. And we're going to open up today's episode talking about the different sports and what their plans are to try and reopen. So first, we're going to talk off with hockey. I know we don't talk a lot of hockey. I know it's not a real national big time cover sport, but they do have one of the more interesting proponents or ideas. And their ideas are to, well, the plan is to have a 2014 playoff. Now, I know that sounds like a lot, and it is. But the reason why they're doing it that way is because teams 5 through 10 were separated by a game when the season had to be ended. So in order to not disregard those teams because they have so many games left and to make sure those teams have a fair shot, they're going to go with a 2014 playoff. In this 2014 playoff, the top eight seeds automatically have buys to the next round. They don't have to worry about those guys. Those guys are good. Teams 9 through 24 will play a playoff bracket, a play-in bracket of sorts, and those teams get to play the top eight that were already sitting out thanks to their record in the regular season. Now, I think this is a good idea for hockey because, like I said, the seeds 5 through 10 of their season were separated by less than a game so if you have a situation where they're so close and you don't know who could have won with the amount of games they had left in their season then it'd be unfair for you to just hack it off like you regularly would and those teams would cry bloody murder as they rightfully should if they don't have the opportunity to fight for a championship and to fight for a stanley cup now this goes into baseball baseball didn't start uh major league baseball are still trying to figure out their money plan um uh, the current plan based from the owners is that the players will take a massive pay cut and in this massive pay cut it will greatly affect the stars more than it would your everyday utility batter so if you're a guy in the minor leagues you won't take that big of a pay cut if you're a utility guy making 450 grand a year 500 grand a year you'll have a pay cut but you'll get 65 to 70 percent of the money you were expecting and stars that are making 30 million dollars i think the owner's plan was to have those guys make around eight there's no way that's going to work uh, baseball has the strongest, by far, the strongest players union and players association with the most power. Uh, everybody in baseball is getting rich. The baseball, even though it is, quote unquote, a dying sport and that it's been overtaken by football in terms of what we watch, what we bet. We watch more basketball than baseball. Even regular season basketball games sometimes beat uh, ratings for the World Series in baseball. Baseball made $11 billion in revenue last year. $11 billion. That is more than the NFL. That is more than the NBA. That's probably more than the NHL and MLS put together. $11 billion was made by Major League Baseball. And that is why the revenue split or the pay cuts or anything that they're discussing is a big deal because a couple of percentage points either way could mean hundreds of millions of dollars, especially with a shortened season 
that pie is going to be even more of a fought over piece because the piece is smaller. I mean, the owner's plan was to have 82 games, wrap it up by September, so that way the next season isn't adversely affected. Unlike the NBA, where Adam Silver came out and said, there's no drop dead date. There's no, you know, we have to get the season done by this so that this happens for next season. There's no certain date where all of a sudden the NBA will just nix the season. Uh, Major League Baseball wants to keep their tradition, wants to keep 162 games. They want to keep September and October being real good baseball and that they already are upset that they have to push it back at all. And so if you adversely affect next season when they have spring training and stuff like that, it could permanently change the landscape of baseball, which is something they're doing their best to avoid. So that's why they want to have the 82 game shortened season. But the players have fought back. They will present a plan in which the season's a little longer so that the revenue pie is bigger. Having no fans will obviously affect the revenue sharing, but a lot of that stuff comes from TV deals. You think about the Yankees having their own network. A lot of these teams, or every team, have signed a local TV deal that produces money for the league and the revenue sharing pie. So I think guys that have their big $30 million a year contracts, maybe they don't make $30 million. Maybe they make 17, 18, which is a lot more likely than getting those guys to agree to make eight, to make seven when they're expecting 30. Um, baseball does have the richest contracts. You see $400 million contracts. There's a couple of those running around now. There's several $300 million contracts and a bevy of $200 million contracts in baseball. And those stars, because they make so much money, have a lot of power. They have a lot of control. It's hard to bring baseball back if Bryce Harper decides he's not going to play for anything less than at least half his salary. That will greatly affect the TV ratings, which will greatly affect the little revenue baseball will be able to recuperate without having fans in the stands, at least for the beginning part of the season. Now, there's certain situations where certain states are allowing outside stadiums to be 25% capacity. So if you think of a 40,000 seat baseball stadium, you know, 25% of that is 10,000 people. It's not a lot. It may not even affect, you know, how we hear or how we view it on television. But it will be something that it will go into the revenue sharing pot for everyone to enjoy in Major League Baseball because they do share revenue so that the Yankees aren't just cohorting all the talented players because they can just buy them. I mean, they're going to do it anyway, but at least it gives opportunities to the San Diego Padres of the world and the Tampa Bay Rays of the world and the Baltimore Orioles who don't make enough gross money from having their own TV network or being one of the biggest brands in the world in terms of sport. And having the revenue sharing set up the way it is gives those guys a chance. And due to this, every owner in the league wants to have the maximum amount of games with giving up the least amount of money to players. So if they can have a plan where they play 110 games and players only get 25, 30% of their salary, they take it. But they tried to do a prorated version. Their prorated version, I believe, was very low. Players are taking all the physical risk by going out there in the middle of coronavirus to play the games. I think if those guys can play 100 games and that they decide to maybe play for 50% of their salary or 60% of their salary, I think the owners is going to have to eat it this year in terms of not fighting the players on every single front, but allowing the players to get more of their salaries and have an increase so that the players are happy when they go out there and feel that the risk is worth it. And that leads us right into the NBA that was having the most intrigue in terms of their season coming back and making the most national waves because of that, because they were right next to their playoffs. They only had a few weeks left and then we're going to get into the playoffs. It's not like baseball that didn't start or hockey that was midseason that weren't really the close to playoff time just yet. 
and basketball has been making the most waves in terms of public acknowledgement outside of baseball airing the dirty laundry by revenue splits. But in terms of stars, you have Damian Lillard saying that he wouldn't get on the court if they didn't have a chance to get in the playoffs. He's the point guard for the Blazers, who sit a few games out of the eighth spot for the playoffs for the Western Conference. Now, the NBA has kicked around a few ideas of some of which I like, some of which I could do without and feel a little gimmicky. Kind of feels like a few of them are stabs in the dark, like the popular one that's gaining some national attention, and some national favor is the group stage World Cup style situation where they would take the eight from the east, the eight from the west, plus the four teams that had a pretty good mathematical shot to get in the playoffs. So that would be the bottom four from the west, and that would be Portland, San Antonio, New Orleans, and Sacramento all possess a realistic shot of making the playoffs as the NBA's Western Conference's eighth seed, overtaking Memphis. So in this scenario, they will put five teams apiece in the four groups, just like they do in European soccer, and you would play, everybody play each other twice. The best record out of every group comes together and it gets reseeded. I guess you take the best record of the best versus the worst record of the best, and then the two guys in the middle, and they will play two traditional seven round series. It will be a way of kind of a warm up before you play two series, and it will give everybody an opportunity that had a chance to make the playoffs a chance at the opportunity. Now, I'm not sure how you would do selection at that point. I don't know if you would take the four best records in the NBA and have them draw names out of a hat back to back to back to see who gets what and whose group. I mean, that could lead to trouble. What if the Bucks end up with Houston and Denver and Toronto and another tough team while the Lakers or the Clippers draws New Orleans and Portland and Memphis and another team out of the East? And they get a really easy bracket. And you see two competing brackets that don't even have a chance. The Lakers go through and sweep their bracket because they have Orlando and Portland and New Orleans and Memphis. And the Bucks struggle or may even lose because they end up drawing the Rockets and the Thunder and the Heat and the Raptors. So a situation where I'm not sure drawing names out of a hat. You could do it instead of a tournament style where one gets 20 and then two gets 19 and then three gets 18 and so on and so forth until they all go around the middle and that way the brackets kind of even still the top four seeds would be the favorites but that's not my favorite idea it feels a little gimmicky not a huge fan of it uh, the other idea my personal favorite idea is taking the 16 teams that were supposed to make it and reseeding them one through 16 regardless of conference and that presents some very interesting matchups in the first round We'll cover that in best for last in terms of what would I have picking in each round and who would I have coming out if they were to do a one through 16 bracket, a reseeding. But that prevents very interesting situations. You have Eastern versus Western Conference teams earlier than the NBA Finals. It gives the opportunity for the flat out two best teams to meet in the finals. It could be all LA NBA Finals. Now that wouldn't be as monstrous or crazy as it would be if it was normal situation no coronavirus and we were playing the games all seven games in nba finals in los angeles just changing the courts every few games and changing which fans gets in the building and that would just be absolutely nuts but i like the one through 16. i feel like it should be one through 16 regardless of conference at all times i don't think that you should punish the western conference teams for being in the west 
because sometimes those are Western Conference teams, be the 10th or 11th seed in the West, could be the 5th or the 6th seed out East. And better teams aren't getting in the playoffs, so then the talent gap never really equals back out because that Western Conference team now has a lottery pick. So what if a very good ninth or 10th seed in the West, who really would be the 5th or the 4th seed some years out East, all of a sudden they end up with a top three draft pick and now their program just keeps running and that team out East, who could really use that top three draft pick, ends up with number 12 due to the draft lottery. So I think that it should be one through 16 regardless of record throughout the NBA. I think for that to be effective, you would have to, first of all, show the number of games, showing it to around 70. The current collective bargaining agreement is built for 70 games for local TV partners. And I think if you show it to about 70 games, you play everybody in the NBA twice, that gives you 58 games, and you play inside your division a third time, and then you sprinkle in a couple of key games, maybe you just get bad luck of the draw. You end up with the Clippers three times of your Eastern Conference team or something like that. But that's the best way, I think, to keep everybody happy and to have a perfect system. But under the current rules, since you didn't establish that before the season, the best way is to 1 through 16 it regardless of conference with the current eight teams in the playoffs. Now, the concern for that would be injury, because if teams like Damian Lillard said he wouldn't play if his team had no chance to make the playoffs, had no chance to compete for a championship. So how would you get those teams warmed up? Maybe you play summer league style where you play a few games that don't matter. You know, like the Lakers, for instance, everybody sits around and draw names out of a hat. And that's they play two or three games where they just warming their bodies up and then going right in the playoff intensity. And you couldn't play, you know, the team you could possibly play in the first, second round. So, for instance, the Lakers could draw the magic because they couldn't play the magic because the Magic could be on the other side of the bracket. So they can play the Magic in a warm-up kind of situation just to get their bodies loose and their bodies ready to go before jumping into playoff intensity. Now, I think that is the best plan, 1 through 16. It gives a perfect chance for the NBA to test it out because everybody's in one location. You don't have to worry about you know odd travel, even though traveling the NBA is a moot point now. But you don't have to worry about odd travel. You don't have to worry about appeasing any home fans who might have been guaranteeing, okay, we're a top four seed in the East. Oh, wait, now we're all of a sudden on the road to start the series out. You don't know about any of that because you're going to be playing in a central location, presumably in Orlando. That deal hasn't been confirmed yet, but presumably in Orlando, you would be all at one location. So you wouldn't have to worry about different things and things the NBA are concerned about when it comes to doing one through 16. This is the perfect year to do it. I don't see why they wouldn't do it or keep it the traditional one through eight on both sides and play the last 10 games to figure out if anybody out of the West can catch Memphis. It'll give everybody opportunity to get warmed up. You're going to need a few weeks to get warmed up anyway. There's no way you're going to come from some of these guys' couch to right into playoff basketball and not expect soft tissue injuries everywhere. So I think in order for that to be the best case scenario, you need to either keep it the way it is. I'm not a fan of the Ron Robin idea. Not a huge fan of the Ron Robin at all. You've played too many games and it's not like we don't know who the best teams. It's not like in European soccer or in the World Cup where these guys compete in different leagues or they compete even in different countries and different tournaments. You don't really know who's the best, not proven on paper, but with all those guys being in the same league, you know who deserves to get what advantages. And so that being said, they need to keep it a one through 16 or a one through eight on both sides. And that is the best plan of action for an NBA return. It is looking like late July to early August could be when the NBA returns which would shift the entire schedule back and have next season starting around the first of the year. Christmas Day would be a target goal for the start of the next season. Very short summer, 
maybe only about three months, to be honest, instead of the longer for some teams finish in April and don't have that quote again until late October. They could finish in August, late August, early September and get right back on the court December. So it'd be a different scenario for GMs and players and veterans who are used to a very long layoff. If you're on a bad team consistently, you may get five months off or you don't play basketball. So shortening the offseason from five months for certain teams to three months universally will be something that people will have to adjust to. But all in all, I think either keeping a traditional one through 16 or reseeding the one through 16 is the best course of action for NBA return. And I think we need to get this thing on the road as soon as it is safe and it is possible for us to do so. But up next, we'll be shifting to the NFL. where We'll be talking about some big contract news with some big names. Alrighty guys, and we're back. Now we're going to dive into the NFL and some big contract news regarding some big names. Now we have the contract negotiations of Patrick Mahomes about to start with the Kansas City Chiefs. We have the ongoing negotiations of Dak Prescott with the Dallas Cowboys. And we have new Jadavion Clowney news. So the Dak Prescott news and the Patrick Mahomes news are kind of interwoven. As of right now, we don't have any new updates on a potential Dak Prescott signing. You know, last time we heard, he was asking for $45 million in the final year, according to Chris Sims. Now, this was refuted by Ian Rappaport, but we haven't heard anything about the contract since. As far as we know, it comes down to a simple argument of years where Dak wants a shorter-term contract in order to get back at the free agent Apple, similar to what Kirk Cousins did going to Minnesota by getting a three-year deal and then re-upping again with some years left so that way he extends the contract further and guarantees his earning potential and maximizes that earning potential. But Dallas wants a five-year contract. It helps with the cap. It allows you to spread around signing bonuses so that we don't have to pay so much of it up front. And it also alleviates some of your cap hit under the salary cap, considering Dallas has a top five paid offensive line, the highest paid running back, the highest paid receiver, or one of the highest paid receivers in terms of total contract value. And they add in Dak, who's looking for the richest deal in NFL history. Also throw in Jalen Smith. Those guys are making a lot of money. And so the Cowboys would do their best to get a longer term contract to alleviate some of the cap pressure. But the reason why this is such an imperative move for Dallas, in my opinion, to get done quickly is because Patrick Mahomes is beginning to negotiate his contract. Now, reports are coming out about that, that it is a contract like we've never seen before. It'll be unprecedented. It'll be structured differently. It'll be a situation where we've never seen a contract like this for a player in the NFL. Now, when I first heard this, my first thought was, okay, it's a massive deal and it's fully guaranteed. Because Kirk Cousins got the first real big fully guaranteed contract when he signed his three-year $84 million deal with the Minnesota Vikings. But if you break it down, he was let's say his annual value is $28 million. If you extrapolate that over five years, he would probably only get $84 million fully guaranteed anyway. So our Kirk Cousins deal wasn't sure, which he ended up doing, that he would get back to the free agent table and back to the negotiating table in time before his prime left. And so he still had bargaining power. In the case of Patrick Mahomes, this is on his third year in the league. So he has a situation where he's trying to account for the curve in the new CBA. 
along with already possessing a 5,000-yard, 50-touchdown passing season, already possessing a league MVP in that season, already possessing two trips to the AFC Championship game, winning one of those, and then leading a fourth-quarter comeback in the Super Bowl based on his arm. And so we have a situation like that. He's looking at multiple things in order to have a massive contract. Now, again, I first thought it was, okay, we're looking at $180 million fully guaranteed, something we've never seen before. But then I started thinking, maybe it is virtually fully guaranteed, but not exactly. So I was thinking that the contract Patrick Mahomes could be interested in would be five years, $225 million, with $180 million due as soon as he signs his name, Patrick Mahomes on the dotted line for the Kansas City Chiefs when he signs that contract with his agent Lee Steinberg watching. Now, when it comes down to a contract of that massive amount, that's about $45 million a year, which is what Dak wanted in the last year of his contract. So if Patrick Mahomes is slated to make $45 million a year annual value, most contracts progress. They don't, you know, it's not situated where every year you make $45 million. It's situated where maybe the first year you make 37 and a half and then the last year you make 50 and then it falls in between that gradually increases. So if Dak Prescott is looking for the 50 of his deal to be 45 and the 50 of Patrick Mahomes deal is 52, I mean, that's not that off in terms of what Dak's looking for. That's about a 15% decrease, 20% decrease in terms of the numbers in quarterbacks. I would say Dak Prescott is 15 to 20% less than Patrick Mahomes in terms of talent of a quarterback. I say the difference in Vegas of them would be a point spread of maybe four points. So in a situation where you have Patrick Mahomes looking for $225 million, in my opinion, where his market value would be, it would be about two hundred twenty-five. Over five years, Dak asking for 175 over five years doesn't seem that outlandish. I fully expect Patrick Mahomes to get 225 and above. I fully expect Deshaun Watson to go for 200, 210 and above. Lamar Jackson, especially if he has a good playoff showing this upcoming season, which will be his third or fourth year, he'll go for 200 million dollars plus in terms of his contractual value because these guys are not only looking at what they'll be worth in today's market. They're looking at what they'll be worth three years from now with the new CBA. Now, when Russell Wilson was renegotiating his contract with the Seattle Seahawks, a rumor began that he was looking for a percentage style contract. So instead of agreeing to a set number, so instead of agreeing to an average salary of $33 million a year or when his contract is $35 million a year, instead of agreeing to a number like that, they were looking to negotiate a contract where he would get a percentage of the cap. So he would get 15 to 17% of the cap every season. So the cap went up, his contract went up. The cap went down, his contract went down. Now the cap doesn't go down. So for Russell Wilson, it was a guaranteed increase in salary every year. And so his contract would never fall behind the market because if the cap goes up, he still gets 15 to 17%. The average quarterback salary takes anywhere from 15 to 22%. So he would never fall behind the market. But maybe Patrick Mahomes decides to take that route. You know, Russell Wilson ultimately agreed to $35 million a year, plus bonuses and incentives and things like that. But maybe Patrick Mahomes decides that he wants that percentage deal instead of negotiating a raw number, especially when we don't know what the CBA is going to hold. Maybe he decides that he's going to demand 20% of the salary cap, regardless of what it is, every season. 
Uh, it would be easier for the Chiefs to build around, in my opinion. You don't have to anticipate some massive balloon payment because you know, okay, we have 80% of our cap to work with because Patrick's taking 20. So from a management standpoint, I think that might be a great fit for everybody involved. You know the guaranteed amount what Patrick's getting every year. He's getting 20% of the salary cap. Patrick Mahomes knows that his contract will never become outdated because he's getting a percentage. So as the cap grows and as the contract numbers around him and for guys that sign after him grow, he's guaranteed 20%. So he's guaranteed at least to be in the top two or three of contracts because his number is going to grow. He's not demanding, I guess he wouldn't demand that he be the number one contract where they have to renegotiate to get $1 more than the next guy. But with the natural progression of the contract, he'll ensure that he'll be a top three paid quarterback at all times, which he definitely deserves to be. So then you look at a situation like Dak Prescott. What if Patrick Mahomes signs a 20% deal? Does Dak Prescott go to Jerry Jones and goes, okay, okay, okay. Forget the raw numbers, forget 35 million, forget 40 million. I will sign for a 17.5% or 18% of the salary cap at all times. So whatever the cap number is, I get 17%. And I think that's a deal where Jerry might look at it and go, okay, I can work with that. Because again, there's no risk of the contract being outdated from Dak Prescott's perspective. And in terms of a team building perspective, you know, if he signs for 17.5%, I still have 82.5% of my salary cap ready to go, locked and loaded and prepared for when I need to build a team around Dak Prescott to keep him supported if I'm Jerry Jones. So those two contracts, both being quarterback contracts, and Dak negotiating, and now the Chiefs beginning to negotiate with Patrick Mahomes could be very interwoven, especially if Patrick Mahomes gets an unforeseen or unheard of structure of his contract in terms of getting a percentage deal or getting $45 million a year annually or getting a cash flow where he gets out of $225 million, he gets $215 million of it fully guaranteed and the rest being very easy incentives to reach. So that could be something where Dak Prescott's price tag goes up based off osmosis. That would be Deshaun Watson's price goes up and Lamar Jackson's price goes up because those guys have good resumes and have great talent. They're not quite Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, but they will be able to percentage base off of that. So that would be a situation where Patrick Mahomes could change the games in terms of quarterback contracts and Dak Prescott and others will be watching. Now, in terms of Davion Clowney, he is a very interesting free agent. Uh, so far, he turned down what turns out to be his biggest deal, which was an offer from Seattle early in the preseason process, early in the renegotiation free agent process. He turned down a deal from Seattle. And as of recently, a day or two ago, he turns down a deal from the Cleveland Browns, which was reportedly his biggest offer yet. He turned Cleveland down. Uh, they would have paired him with Miles Garrett and made the Cleveland Browns, in my opinion, a 12-win football team. If you have Miles Garrett on one side, Jadavion Clowney on the other side, that corner is nice. We know the offense has potential to be very high-flying, high-scoring offense with Kevin Stefanski at the helm, who comes from the Kyle Shanahan style of football, which is be the stretch run, which you'll see a lot of play action for Baker Mayfield. Odell and Jarvis will have to be blockers primarily until they get their opportunities to catch the ball in the passing game. Although with those weapons, I'm sure he'll edit it a little bit. The Vikings were a little more high-flying once they got Kirk Cousins with Diggs and Thielen. 
did I anticipate the Browns would be the same? But it was a very interesting move, in my opinion, turning down the Browns. Maybe he's waiting on a bigger offer. Maybe he's waiting on the Browns to make a bigger offer. You know, he could be waiting on another team or what he deems as a championship contender to offer him a big one-year deal. Uh, Tampa would be a place I would look out for, especially around OTAs. If if we have formal OTAs or formal preseason with the virus shutting down workouts, but facilities starting to open. So maybe if we get some sort of offseason, Tampa makes a big one-year $15 million offer or he gets a big one-year deal from another championship contender to try and put them over the hump and to try and be the championship team they can be. He wants to win. So I think if he wins a ring, he'll then decide to take the biggest money offer he can get his hands on. But I thought that was very interesting in terms of he says he wants to play, but he also wants to get correct value for his talents or what he thinks is correct value for his talents and turning down your biggest offer to date on a very talented Cleveland Browns team that's going to be a playoff team. I believe they might be the fifth or the sixth seed in the AFC. And a very talented team is a very head-scratching move, but I think he's doing the best for what he thinks for his career. Personally, if I was him, I would have taken the deal with Cleveland. I can't get double team. There's Miles Garrett, and there's other talent on the team around me. So I'll be very interested in watching that situation. And up next, we're going to do our best for last, in which I will pick the 1 through 16 seeded NBA playoffs and how I think it will all shake out. All right, guys, and we're back with our last segment of the day that we're going to start calling the best for last segment. And in this segment, we are going to talk about what would the NBA playoffs look like one through 16, in my opinion, and how they would shake out. So in the first round, you would draw Bucks Magic, two Eastern Conference teams. And on their side of the bracket, they will also feature Clippers Dallas, two Western teams, Boston Philly, two Eastern teams, and our first cross conference, which would be Miami and Oklahoma City. And on the other side, which we're going to call the Lakers side, it would be the Lakers Brooklyn, East versus West. You would have Toronto Memphis, also East West. You would have Denver Indiana, also East West. And then you would have Utah Houston, a more traditional Eastern Conference matchup. Now we're going to start off with the Bucks side of things. And I would have the Bucks sweeping the Magic 4 0. Miami in a hard fought series versus Oklahoma City. Chris Paul has those guys playing very well in OKC. That young team that I believe even management thought was going to be in a tanking situation this year. He has those guys playing hard. But ultimately, with Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero and head coach Eric Spolster and just the Heat culture, I've got the Heat taking a very highly contested game seven to advance to play the Bucks. I've got the Clippers beating a very young Dallas team 4-1. to one. Dallas isn't ready yet. Luka is their star. is only 21 or 22 years old. Chris Porzingis has never been in a situation in the playoffs, having come from the Knicks. And the Clippers are primed and ready with the mix of veterans and Kawhi and Patrick Beverly and Paul George and Montrez Harrell and Lou Will. With head coach Doc Rivers, they'll take that series 4-1. to one. And I have Boston beating a very up and down and inconsistent Philadelphia team 4-2. to two. Moving to the Lakers side of the bracket, I have the Lakers beating a Brooklyn team 4-0 in a sweep. Now, this is contingent on Kevin Durant not returning. This is also contingent on Kyrie Irving not returning. I think if Kyrie comes back, it could be 4-1. I don't think he swings it too much. Maybe he goes off one game and takes a game. 
But if Kevin Durant comes back, it's a whole new playoffs. This becomes maybe a 4-3 series. It'll be about 400 days since his surgery, or the injury, I should say, and which is more than the 250 days we've seen from guys like DeMarcus Cousins and other people who've come back from this injury. They take about 250 days usually, and it'll be about 400 days if they were to come back for season around late July, early August. I have the Houston Rockets beating the Utah Jazz 4-2. This could have been a seven-game series, but Bojan Banjanovic had season-ending elbow surgery that he'd been trying to play through all season, but with the long layoff and not knowing if a season would come back, in order to not jeopardize next season, he decided to have his surgery. He was scoring 20 points a game for an offense that struggles in Utah. So I've got Houston advancing over them 4-2 to play the Lakers. I've got Toronto beating a very game Memphis team 4-1. Now, the number 4-1 is not going to be indicative of how I think this series is going to play. It's going to play like a 4-3, seven-game series. It's just Toronto with their championship medal, even minus Kawhi, and the way they play defense will ultimately outlast a very young but growing and future dangerous team in Memphis and beating them 4-1. And I've got Denver in a tough battle 4-3 over Indiana. Indiana has a lot of good playmakers. They don't go away. And I think that Denver not having a superstar score just yet is going to really keep the games closer and allow Indiana to fight and scrap. But ultimately, Denver will advance to go play Toronto. Back to the Bucks side of things. I've got the Bucks beating the Heat 4-2. A little bit closer, not necessarily the sweep of the first round for the Bucks because Miami is against a tough, hard-nosed team. Bam Adebayo likes playing Giannis because he likes playing physical basketball and he knows Giannis has to come to him. But ultimately, I think that Giannis and the rest of the crew with Chris Middleton ultimately outlast them in a very tough six-game series. And then I get to Clippers in Boston. And I struggle with this series a little bit. Uh, Clippers are a tough team, but Boston can build a wall with Tatum and Brown and Cantor and the rest of that large lineup that they can throw at the Clippers. But ultimately, I think the Clippers outlast them and win a seven-game series 4-3. to three. That brings us back down to the other side of the bracket, in which I have Toronto beating a very tough Denver team 4-3. to three. When you have a guy like Jokic, I mean, Marcus All can battle with him, so that'll be a battle. You have Kyle Lowry and Jamal Murray. You have Pascal Siakam, and a lot of the guys Denver can throw at him, a lot of those versatile wings like a Michael Porter Jr. and the rest of that crew, that they can throw at him. But ultimately, again, I think that championship medal carries them a little bit further than Denver. And having a lockdown defense that Nick Nurse can employ will ultimately carry them to be a winner 4-3. to three. And then I have the Lakers beating Houston 4-2. to two. It's too much size. A uh, small ball gets caught. Not having the crowd to really help with those threes and help motivate a P.J. Tucker to bang with Dwight Howard and Anthony Davis and JaVale McGee and not having any real size of note to really fight LeBron off the glass and Anthony Davis and, like I said, JaVale and Dwight. And you've got Kuzma who will rebound. Avery Bradley will stick his nose in there. And when you've got too much size, those rocket shooters going to have to hit every shot. Having to just play the outside and keep Russ off the rim is a situation I think the Lakers could do. And ultimately, they'll take them 4-2 to two to go play Toronto. Now, in the well, you would be the conference finals, but in this case, it would be the final four. It would be Bucks versus Clippers. And I struggled with this series. I struggled in picking this series. I really struggled. Didn't know where to go. 
Obviously, you have Kawhi, who just beat Giannis by building the wall, keeping him off the paint. But this time, the Clippers don't have the massive size that the Raptors did last year. They couldn't just line up Serge Ibaka and Marcus All with Kawhi as a primary defender and able to have a foot in the paint because Montrezl Harrell is not the tallest guy in the world. Giannis is taller. Zubas is not known as a dominant rim protector, although analytics will suggest he is and he can be in the future. Zubats isn't ready to be a dominant rim protector to help build a wall to keep Giannis off the rim and off the glass, along with Lopez and the rest of that tall crew in Milwaukee. So I'll go 4-3. Milwaukee takes out the Clippers. And that goes to Lakers and Toronto. And honestly, I honestly would feel bad for Toronto here because they have to think the one year LeBron left our conference we won a championship. Now, I know a lot changed. They changed coaches, going from Dwayne Casey to Nick Nurse. They changed their star player, going from DeMar DeRozan to Kawhi Leonard. But LeBron also left. And I think for some of the guys on the team, it may have begun to be mental, where you run up against LeBron, you lose. You have a great regular season record, and you run up against LeBron in the conference finals, and you lose. And for them to have to play LeBron for the right to defend their title in the finals, is just brutal and it's kind of heartbreaking for the Toronto fans. But I've got LeBron and, his, and the Lakers beating them 4-2 to two and setting up a finals matchup with, in my opinion, the two best teams in the NBA in the Lakers and Bucks, in which LeBron and the Lakers win 4-3 to three just from championship medal and overall talent. The best player on the floor, in my opinion, is LeBron. 1A is Giannis. 1AB is Anthony Davis. And then you go where Chris Middleton's probably two. And then it becomes, I think, a Lakers show in terms of the next best guy on the floor. Talent-wise, is Kuzma. And then you've got guys like Danny Green. But the Bucks can answer right back with Brooke Lopez and Eric Bledsoe. So in terms of talent being that close, I would lean towards the best player on the floor in LeBron and the championship of having been there and the experience. You've got Danny Green, who's won championships with the Spurs and the Raptors just last season. You've got Dwight Howard, who's been in the finals when he played Kobe Bryant as a member of the Magic. LeBron's gone to nine NBA finals. And you've got other loads of experience all over that bench in terms of players and coaches. And so I think that the Lakers ultimately would win the NBA championship in this scenario, four to three. Having not having to play the Clippers, having to not draw the Bucks in this one through 16, having to not have to deal with Boston size or OKC's grit, that they draw a pretty good matchup. They would draw, you know, a, a beat up Brooklyn team. They would draw a Houston squad that's small and it's a bad matchup for Houston. And they would draw a Toronto team who honestly might be mentally defeated and pretty worn down, having played a seven game series just prior against a big, strong Denver team that's known for getting up and down the floor and running and really tiring teams out and having a big guy like Jokic in the middle who will pull your center out and make him work may just be tiring, too tiring for that team to go out and play the Lakers, who, again, I believe will win the championship over the Bucks. But that is all for us today at the Justin Time Sports Podcast. Remember, I am your host, Justin Jackson. Uh, you can follow the podcast Twitter at JTimeSports, all caps. I repeat, at J-Time Sports, all caps. It is not exclusively for the podcast. Podcast updates are posted there, but it is also a breaking news sports site for all things sports. 
We even broke MMA sports with Conor McGregor and Anderson Silva possibly fighting a fight at 176 pounds in a catchweight style fight. So it is for all things sports. If you're interested, uh, tell your friends about the podcast and the Twitter page. Uh, Share, subscribe, like, drop a comment, open the topic ideas. You know, we're getting into a day period in sports where topics are a little bit harder to come by, but I'm going to work hard to make sure you guys are updated with that week's main topics. But I'm always open to topic suggestions, and I hope you guys have a great day.